Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome to another episode of Provocative Inquiry, designed to inform and enlighten. This is a two-hour show, and this one ought to be very interesting. It'll be a first of its kind, where we're interested in exploring the nature of our universe, our consciousness, the power of our thoughts and intentions, how and why they interact, if they do, all in our attempt to understand what it means to be human. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more than, you know, something new, something that, you know, goes beyond the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but reaches into who we are, what it is that we believe and why we believe it. And this is a time for the open-minded willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now, at least for a little bit she does. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a great chat room, and it's really a multi-purpose room since we show videos and more all in our effort to enrich the information shared on this show. So don't miss out. Join the chat room today. Okay, Ravinder, it's time for your special chat room invitation. Well, of course, I love everyone to join me in the chat room. And although I won't be chatting quite as much today, I am definitely in here and watching and we will be responding. So, you know, any of your feedback on today's show, any of your comments, I will see right away and I can get them on the air. It's actually a good way for those of you who are too shy to call in. But we have a fun show today, so do come join us in the chat room. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Now, you have a team of people that are in there, even though you're not going to yes. be in there all. So, so, you know, Andrea and Jana, they're in the chat room, and they can assist and facilitate as well, answer questions and advance. Uh, uh, and the reason you're not going to be in the chat room today, well, you know, Lots of people have sent us emails, and, and they've said things like, boy, I'd like to be there when you and your wife are just having these conversations, <laughs> you know, uh, the things you guys must talk about. Well, we're going to do some of that today, but I'll get to that in a minute. All right, in our Spotlight of the Week segment, this week we turn our attention to a new study and its implications. Last week I posted this headline on my Facebook page, quote, Religious experiences shrink part of the brain, close quote. Now, a new study linked life-changing religious experience, like being born again, with atrophy in the hippocampus. Quoting Andrew Newberg, writing for Scientific America, the study carried out by Amy Owen and colleagues at Duke University, represents an important advance in our growing understanding of the relationship between the brain and religion. The study showed greater atrophy in the hippocampus in individuals who identify with specific religious groups, as well as those with no religious affiliation. It is a surprising result, given that many prior studies have shown religion to have potentially beneficial effects on brain function, anxiety, and depression. So now, just exactly what are we talking about? How important is the hippocampus? Well, the hippocampus has a few duties, such as spatial navigation, as well as playing 
an all-important role in consolidating and moving information from short-term memory into long-term memory. It is also part of the limbic system, which essentially deals with emotions as well as long-term memories. The hippocampus is involved in many complex processes, such as forming, organizing, and storing those memories. Quoting from Sciences, Anatomy, and Physiology, quote, Long-term memory is referred to the memory that lasts for days and even decades. It is different from short-term or working memory, which lasts only for seconds. This memory is divided into procedural, implicit memory, and declarative, explicit memory. Implicit memory retains our skills, such as how to ride a bicycle. Explicit memory retains our memory about specific events and general knowledge. The hippocampus is essential to long-term memory, especially explicit or declarative memory. All right, quoting Newberg once more, in this study, Owen et al. used MRI to measure the volume of hippocampus, a central structure of the limbic system that is involved in emotion as well as in memory formation. They evaluated the MRIs of 268 men and women aged 58 and over who were originally recruited for a neurocognitive outcomes of depression in the elderly study, but who also answered several questions regarding their religious beliefs and affiliation. The study by Owen et al. is unique in that it focuses specifically on religious individuals compared to non-religious individuals. This study also broke down these individuals into those who are born again, or who have had life-changing religious experiences. The results showed significantly greater hippocampal atrophy in individuals reporting a life-changing religious experience. In addition, they found significantly greater hippocampal atrophy among born-again Protestants, Catholics, and those with no religious affiliation, compared with Protestants not identifying as born-again. The authors offer the hypothesis that the greater hippocampal atrophy in selected religious groups might be related to stress. They argue that some individuals in the religious minority or those who struggle with their beliefs experience higher levels of stress. This causes a release of stress hormones that are known to depress the volume of hippocampus over time. This might also explain the fact that both non-religious as well as some religious individuals have smaller hippocampal volumes. Now, stress. Why stress? Well, the authors of the study suggest that the fear involved in this form of religious experience causes the stress. Now, think about that. Fear of damnation, fear of punishment, and fear of guilt associated with sin. Fear of not being sufficient, worthy, and so forth. For that matter, when one thinks of the non-religious person and their hippocampal shrinkage, perhaps the idea that this is it, the end, dust to dust, finite temporality slowly shutting down with every breath, the idea that this is all there is, may be the fear that is the common denominator with a zealously religious. Living in this sort of fear, fear of insufficiency, in my opinion, weaves itself into one's self-esteem and thereby is integrated into just about every aspect of the the believer's life, not just their religious practices. 
Now, that's something to chew on when next you think of your relationship to religious or spiritual practices, prejudices, and convictions. Your thoughts on that one, Ravinder? Well, you know, I have to admit, first of all, when you brought this to me, there were parts of it I didn't understand. And, you know, what exactly does the hippocampus do and what? how would that relate to practical life? But you went through that with me. Thank you very much. Um, you know, and then the the following question I had to uh, to that was also, well, why would the really religious person be in the same category as the non-religious person so it's the mildly religious person that seems to be or spiritual person as opposed to religion who seems to have the advantage and the the fear idea would make sense to me because i think any fundamentalist whatever their religion is they have rules and regulations that they have to conform to and a sense of judgment if they don't fulfill it correctly or, or they're judging other people for not being as good as they are. Which indirectly causes stress as well. It most certainly does. Whereas I think for the majority of your audience, for the majority of us who are, you know, believe in spirituality but not in a hard and fast religion, well, maybe we just gain the benefit of the peace of mind that comes with... Um, it's all okay. It's how know. it's meant to be. And Maybe being open-minded means being larger-minded. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show featured Sue Frederick, and we spoke about her work and book, Bridges to Heaven, True Stories of Loved Ones on the Other Side. Mark wrote, much of what Sue Frederick had to say about the soul's experience on the other side seemed to resonate with me. However, I must take issue with one point. She was asked when she thought the soul entered the human body during pregnancy. She said the soul entered right after conception. However, she said that if the life path was not the correct one for the soul, it was okay for the pregnancy to be terminated and the soul released from the form. That's a bit of a contradiction. It is. I agree, Mark. She said that the soul already understood in advance that it would be released before birth in such a fashion and somehow needed to undergo the experience or lesson with the mother in the womb. I'm paraphrasing here, but I think that is the gist of it. I must take issue with Sue here and say that the soul always chooses its parents and understands in advance the life path it will be on no matter the difficulty. For this reason, I'm against abortion in most cases. Am I doubting Sue's intuitive communications with a soul before birth? Who says it's okay to end the pregnancy? I guess I am doubting it. Viviana wrote, Regarding Sue's interpretation of free will, I do not feel we have 100% free will. If we did, we would only create the most glorious life. And what would be the point of coming here to have this human experience? I feel grace loves us so much to allow us to have experiences, challenges, in order to expand and grow into a greater version of ourselves, remembering more and more who we are. Judy remarked, I think as long as you have choice, we have free will. Amy wrote, I just love your show, and I thought Sue Frederick was right on. I bought her book before your show ended. That's how much I liked what she had to say. Thanks for the great variety of guests, and please keep up what you're doing. Lori wrote, listening to you on contact radio as I jogged this morning. I did not know you were on contact radio. What a pleasant surprise. We love you, Eldon Taylor. Thank you for all you do. 
Well, I'm honored by your words, Laurie. Thank you, and we love Contact Talk Radio as well. That's why we're here. We're here out of choice, and uh, I love the folks that uh, keep this show running. Those those people in the background, uh, we call them producers, like our producer, Kiera, or, you know, the co-owner and, and the key guy that makes everything happen, Cameron Steele, his lovely wife. It's a great team to be a part of. I'm honored. Kate wrote, congratulations for such an interesting talk in the Hay House Summit. I enjoyed it. It is a field I have been studying recently frenetically. I ordered some of your books also. I want to know more and in detail. The good thing is that people seem to wake up slowly, albeit. Unfortunately, here in Greece, people are more interested in politics, though our problems don't allow such a luxury, in my opinion. They still think that the solution will come from those who created it. Yeah, that that is a problem. <laughs> and, you know, it's always easy, however, to look elsewhere for solutions, and I don't think this is unique to Greece, Kate. But I do solely create, so agree with you, you know, the folks that create the problem, they're not the ones that will solve the problem. <laughs> Thanks for your feedback. Dina wrote, your provocative enlightenment series kept me company on a long trip home yesterday. Thank you for your weekly interviews. It kept me engaged enough that I did not get tired. As always, I enjoy the rapport that you and Ravinder Taylor share. Well, thanks, Dina. I enjoy it, too. Yesterday was our 24th anniversary. And, I, you know, I want to give a shout out to all of you out there who posted on my Facebook page. Congratulations, hundreds of you. And I am just really thrilled. Uh, thank you very much. And the woman, she spoiled me on Father's Day, and she spoiled me again yesterday. You have spoiled me for 24 years, mister. So. Hush, hush. Henry wrote, <laughs> Inner Talk is amazing. Thanks for helping our family. Henry wrote, Your products have given me the inner drive and tools to make powerful changes in my life. My personal and professional life has soared to new heights as a result of using your Inner Talk products. Thank you. Well, you're more than welcome, Henry, and thank you for your feedback. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at eldontaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. I truly appreciate your feedback and continued support. Now to this week's show, which was supposed to be all about the book, You Are Not So Smart. Now think about it for a minute. Most of you know that I spend a fair amount of time lecturing and writing about such things as mental shortcuts, propaganda, biases, and other mind-programming aspects that ultimately frame our beliefs and thereby our expectations, and voila, our self-fulfilling prophecies. I often point out just how much of a chameleon we really are by illustrating how we all behave when we change clothing. For example... I have a friend who is a radio show host and a clinical psychologist with a private practice. She is both erudite and very well-spoken. However, she loves her bikes, and when she straps on those shafts and straddles that Harley hog, she is a totally different person with a new vocabulary, walk, and air about her. Think about it for a moment. When you change your clothes, say dress all up, do you not feel and act different than when you're in your penny runners and old jeans oh Rav? most certainly all right i tell you what you not only feel and act differently you think differently indeed 
one might argue that your brain actually works differently. For example, if I give you a white coat to wear and tell you that it's a doctor's coat, your ability to pay attention and remember is increased sharply over giving you the same coat to wear and telling you that it's a painter's coat. Solid data from study after study suggests that we are continually influenced by primes of all sorts. The fact is, one study demonstrated how easy it is to manipulate your beliefs. If you are given a survey of values, scaled in such a way as to place liberal values on one end and conservative values on the other, and we place a jar of hand sanitizer on the table where you will complete this survey, your answers will be far more conservative than if the hand sanitizer is not present. So just how smart are we? And one might add, how smart might we become if we are aware of the various nuances that can fool us, such as those I just pointed out? Now, unfortunately, our planned guest, Mr. David McRaney, had to cancel at the last moment due to circumstances beyond his control. Now, cancellations are rare on Provocative Enlightenment. When they happen, I have in the past called upon a personal friend to fill in. Unfortunately, they were all committed and would have had to cancel their own schedules to make it happen. My friend Dr. John Turner offered to help out by canceling his day with patience, by way of example. But but I couldn't ask him to do that. So, folks, you're stuck with me and Ravinder today. <laughs> as such, this is what we're going to do. We will treat today's show as open lines. You can call in with any question or comment that you would like to air, and you can do this at any time throughout the show. What we are going to do is discuss the kind of things we talk about all the time together when we're chatting in the automobile or over tea or coffee in the morning. I keep a lot of articles, articles of interest, and sometimes I keep them for years. Most of them come from current news or journal announcements. The material can be quite controversial, and I may think that one day... I will write a blog or something about it. The news comes too, too fast for me to write about all of it. So this format may work well as another avenue to express some of my ideas. On Ravinder's ideas, and we may do another show like this in the future if you like it, so be sure and let us know. But first, let's set the stage by illustrating why this sort of thing should concern all of us on our spiritual path, or our daily pragmatic lives. To do that, let me share something out of my book, Mind Programming, a revisit to a piece called The Four Views. This is a piece that a few years ago I wrote that has been rather widely circulated and on the basis of some of the comments I've seen not too well understood. The piece is titled The Four Views. Please allow me to share it with you before making any further comments. This, then, is the story, and I quote, Once a wise master had four students who exceeded all others in ability. One day the five gathered, and the master spoke to the first student, Tell me what you see when you look into the world. I see savagery. The planet is raped. The world hides from the truth. 
Contaminating material is released everywhere. There is particulate matter in the heavens and acid rain. The rainforests are being destroyed, and so is the ozone. There is such ignorance and selfishness. The world needs so much correction. The master replied, You are right, and I shall call you correction, for you by your vision have committed to a world of need. To his second student, the master put the same question. Tell me what you see when you look into the world. The second student replied, Master, I see futility. Nothing can be done to change the ways of the world. Though some will repent and call for change, still the world is condemned by the acts of man. The sciences teach us that too many people are coming onto the planet. Too much destruction has already been done. Too little money is provided for science to adequately assist and there is too little concern for ethics and values. Crime escalates while families decay. Law is lost. You too are right, and I shall call you righteous, for your indignation beholds a corrupt world beyond repair while your heart suffers its pain. You shall be known for your words, and your works will express the sadness of your heart. The master turned his gaze to the third student. And you... What do you see? I see a world needing the restoration of law. I do not believe hope is lost. I find encouragement in the words of my brothers, for they too recognize the need the world has for the change of ways. It is with confidence that I sense the willingness of man to change. All good government is government of the people and for the people. It is through law and government that change can be effected. The masses will follow the right action and attitude of government. The agent for change exists and is law and government. You also are right, said the master. I shall call you government, for your words forge your observations and become what you teach. You will therefore be committed to a work of law and order through government. Finally, to the fourth student, the master put the same question. And what do you see? Master, I behold only miracles. Life is a miracle. All being is a miracle. Consciousness is a miracle. I behold God in all creation. I sense the beauty of love and the fragrance of the flower and the smile of a child and the warmth of lovers and the glow of the stars. When I look onto the world, I am greeted with its many mysteries. It is with awe and reverence that each day unfolds its beauty. I know that all things are good and that each expresses their good in their own appropriate manner for the moment. I know that which my brothers speak about is but illusion, for only the eternal is real. I will give no power to the thoughts of scarcity, of limitation, of need, for all that is truly needed is here for us to behold, to recognize, and to accept. I wish only to give to the world the sight I have been given, for with these modest eyes and senses my heart is quickened by the glory of being. The Master smiled before he spoke. And you, my chosen student, I will call truth. For your vision is of truth, and its reward is the reality it sees. You shall go unto man and teach from what you see, for yours is a vision of what is, and all that is possible rest in this peace. You shall be known by all men by your garments of serenity and peace. The Master, speaking to all, added these words, To each of you is the blessing of your vision. As you see the world, so the world reveals itself to you. You will know the world by your vision of it. To each of you will go the works of your sight. You will experience life according to your vision. 
Not only is our reality a matter of choice, but so is the power we give it. Only the eternal is incorruptible. Only the eternal is therefore true. All else is inherently false by definition. In order for you to become a master, one must begin by acting like a master. To grow, we must give. The old saying, you cannot receive if the cup is full, is absolutely true of the human condition. As we sow, so do we root. Close quote. Now, I want you to think about this story while we go to break. When we come back from the break, we'll discuss it, and I'll have a question or two for you. We're discussing the way of it all. Remember to join the team in the chat room during the break if you're not already there. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll do our best not to disappoint you after a few words from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With Intertalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. Intertalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.intertalk.com to find your towel today. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com, or bto.net and or bbs.com. We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
still have half the day to go. I think we're through about six or seven, so we have a ways to go still. Thank you, guys. Well worth doing. Take a break. All right. Now, welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting about the world we live in and the events that impact us today or will tomorrow and why this information is something we not only want to be aware of, but is a part of our spiritual growth. Now, we always get music from our guests, and, and that's, a, that's a break, an interlude that I like. Uh, it, it's, a, I think, a refreshing, you know, add to the show. And so I said to Ravinder, you know, what are your songs? I have to have your, th- your, your three songs. Well, she took a bit to think about it, but the first one we just played, Day by Day by the cast of Godspell, and that was the cast live, as you heard at the very end, commenting on, okay, well, we've got this one, now we need to do the rest of these recordings. Ravinder, tell us. I mean, this is supposed to be three songs that are your songs of life. What is the deal with this one? Why is this a song of your life? This song has been with me, oh, since I was about six, seven years old. I think I was fortunate to be brought up in England at a time where there was not a separation of church and state. So in school, we had, you know, um, assembly every morning. We had the hymn. We had the prayer. Now, I was not Christian. Um, but that really didn't matter because to experience other people's form of religion, I think added, actually gave me more value. Um, so this particular song, I still remember the headmistress, Mrs. Bidgood, standing at the front in her stiletto heels, um, miming out this song, you know, so it was a huge part of, of my childhood. But we also did Godspell as the end of term play when I turned 11 as we were as I was coming out of elementary school but this song has been the mantra for my life it is the focal point of every meditation that I do um it's it's the purpose of my, my life that is what I want to do I want to I want to be I want to be the example that God looks down and is proud of. I want to live in his light. I want to do his work. And that is always there. That is behind everything that I do. I just want to be a better person. I want to learn more all the time. I want to live in God's grace. I love the song. I love the choice. And, of course, I love you too, my dear. All right. Excellent choice in my view. Before we went to break... Uh, I had just covered a story, and it's a story that has appeared in many, many places uh, since it was originally published, called The Four Views. Uh, I've asked you to think about it. You know, think about the story. What does it mean? Ravinder's comments are very befitting here in this context. Um, I like to think that what we do largely is designed to facilitate people in waking up. Um, And, of course, there are all kinds of definitions to waking up. But if you think about our world, are there people starving in the world? Are mass atrocities still happening in various locations? Are innocent folks dying unnecessarily? Are women being raped and abused and children discarded or even worse, trained to be perpetrators of hell, of hate, I should say, themselves? 
If your answer is yes, then clearly your awareness is honest and real. But then that wouldn't be the same as, well, let's, let's think about this. If you turn away from the news, ignore the media altogether, uh, live in some safe community somewhere in the world, then it might be easy to think that everything is only peace, balance, and harmony. After all, you have everything you need. Food, shelter, a warm bed to sleep in, and time to enjoy it. Now, to me, this is willful blindness, and this form of willful blindness to the world around you may afford many benefits, but is it real? The question of real comes down to what we define our purpose for living as. Is life about personal security and safety to you? Is your spiritual quest divorced from the suffering of others? Do you feel a moral obligation to assist? Or is your moral obligation just to yourself? That is, and most importantly, in the context of what Ravinder just said, can you genuinely ascend to your spiritual heights by closing off the world, locking yourself in a closet, so to speak, burying your head in the proverbial sand and ignoring the hardships, the pain, the suffering, or for that matter, the opportunities that are so close to each and every one of us every day to just make it a little easier for another human being or for another life form. Maybe it's an animal that you're helping. The fact is, all four views are valid. They address the world we live in differently. I suspect that since we have typically been conditioned to expect a multiple-choice format whenever more than one possibility is present, that this explains why so many jump to the conclusion that the fourth view is the so-called correct answer. On the other hand, it could be that the reader is desirous of approval and therefore chooses the option the master praises. We live in a world of duality, and that's an understatement, since there are so many shades of gray that that display themselves between extremes. Buddha addressed this duality with the middle path. The Hebrew people sought rectification of opposites via the middle pillar, and the Taoist with yin and yang. Indeed, every extant religious system addresses the need to find a path by which the concept of duality forms a whole. I have taught that our purpose is service. The last couple of lines in the four views makes this clear. To grow, we must give. How on earth can you help others if you have turned the world off? The fact is, the story of the four views is really a challenge directed at prompting you to forge your own reconciliation. It's not an answer. It isn't laying out a road map. Oh, close your eyes and just see bliss and happiness. How foolish. The word Israelite has been loosely translated to mean one who wrestles with God. 
just as Jacob did according to the Torah. Wrestling with how we live as spiritual beings, regardless of our spiritual affiliation or beliefs, is the real challenge of each of our lifetimes. Alone in a cave, somewhere without any contact with the real world, may offer a path, but it is not the path most of us stride upon every day, nor is it the one that will elevate your understanding or compassion. There is no possibility. I'm going to repeat that. There is no possibility of personal growth without looking at the whole picture. And that is the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey might say. Okay, Ravinder, this one sort of caught you, I believe. Tell us about that. No, I appreciate you bringing this one up. You had written this story uh, some time ago, and I had read it and enjoyed it. Um, it was only pretty recently that it came to my attention again, and I realized, like the majority of people, I had taken the fourth answer as being the correct answer, but it didn't fit with me anymore, and obviously I've been growing myself over the last seven, ten years, you know, as we've been doing all of this work, and today I wasn't as comfortable with that last answer, um... So no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up. I mean, there is this idea, especially in our field, that, you know, what you think it w- is what you create. That's, that's the, the world that you create. Um, so ha- the peace, balance and harmony sounds wonderful. But you can be in your own small community. You can be isolated from the news and not paying attention to the pain and suffering in the world. And just like the tree that falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Well, maybe there isn't anything going on until something happens to you. And the fact is, bad things can happen. You know, right here, we've had the ice storm. We've had five feet of snow. You know, we've had these things. And there are things that happen where the community pulls together. And if your immediate community can't help you, then the bigger community does come in and help. Um, I, I think that the, if you take the fourth view as being the correct answer as an absolute, then you're creating a pretty selfish world. And you, you can't grow in the process because the simple fact is you can get a great deal more pleasure from giving than you can from receiving. And if you're stuck in your small cocoon with your clean sheets and a full belly, well, there's a lot that you're missing out in life totally. Um, I remember that letter. We received a letter, and I happened to say that, uh, you know, we're wired for service. Uh, the brain indeed bathes us with those great neurochemicals, you know, the the body's natural opiates, all those endorphins. When we do go to the aid of uh, someone in need, when we do something as simple as writing a check to a charity that we, you know, that we genuinely care about, and in discussing that, I was pointing out that we have an obligation that you know we're made um, to help one another. We are we're built in such a way that service is really uh, a part of who and and what we are and. and we should be convoluting the models. And when we see people in need, when we see, you know, situations where we have the ability to do something and it is rational and responsible to do so, um, that I felt that we have that obligation, that it's inherent to who we are and how we're made and that to turn our backs on it is not just a dangerous precedent, um, you know, 
a precedent that says it's okay for you to turn your back on me if I'm in need, but it it is actually an injury, a self-injury that we inflict when we do that. And we received a letter, and the letter said, you know, look, I'm not interested in all the woes in the world as long as I, as you quoted, have my warm bed or whatever else it was. Uh, but, but I agree with you, you know. Now, I, I'm going to take apart something that you said here because we're just going to have this conversation now. Um, when you say in this community, in our community, you, you really mean like new age community. Yeah. And, and, and see, and, and forgive me, all of you out there, I do not mean to offend anyone, but I've never seen myself uh, as a part of a new age community or an old age community or, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is there's not a lot of new in the so-called new age. You know, most of, I mean, nothing new under the sun. I suppose that's the best way to say it. And, and there are some, some ideas there that are just, you know, they're, they're, they're not any more solid than some of the nonsense about, you know, that we find in just, uh, the, fundamentalist beliefs in in any religion one of those nonsense ideas is is this notion that you know we can just create everything by visualizing it uh you know there's no reason life is not meant to be a struggle everything should just come to us we're you know uh, co-creators and so on and so forth the fact is there's a kernel of truth in every lie and, and you know, the greatest, the smartest politicians begin syllogisms with a premise that is absolutely true, such as taxes are too high. Okay? Mm-hmm. And we say, yeah. And then, you know, they go on with their argument, but the premises don't necessarily follow logically thereafter, nor should we conclude that they would, you know, indeed act according to the path those premises take. Well, one of the premises that we, you know, that we're talking about here is this notion that life is never meant to be a struggle. And and the fact of the matter is we don't grow without struggle. And, uh, you know, it, it isn't that we need to struggle, that, that I want to struggle, and it isn't that I don't have the ability to manifest good in my life by remaining positive, by finding positive uh, ways to do things. But what it is is a recognition that we do live in a world of duality, period, end of quotation. And that, you know, denying that ruptured appendix, the pain the ruptured appendix gives us by saying, I'm visualizing this away is insane. We, you know, we have discussed this on many occasions, but if you, there's a community that I know about, you know about, I'm going to use that as an example where, you know, all of these young people were very well educated in in the spirit of the so-called secret, the book. Okay. So there was a contest in the community and it happened to be a, um, I think it was an art contest or there's, there's no, it was a race, wasn't it? It was a race, I think. And there were all these students that did the visualizing. They created their posters. They did all these things to win it. But only there can only be one winner. And it turned out that the winner didn't do any of it. He just happened to be a natural athlete, you know? Uh, 
if if you think about it, if we all just started visualizing winning the lottery, do you really think that it would get divided that many? I mean, they, they were somehow the so so there is a place where the pedal meets the metal, and the rubber meets the road, and the pragmatic aspect of our lives says we're agents of action in a world that requires action and it exists in a duality and and we can look at how we're made to determine what it is that is our form and that will tell us what our function is and our form for all intent and purposes tells us many things not just that we're bipedal or that we have opposing thumbs, or that we have a larger brain, or more cortical matter, but it also tells us that we're rewarded when we help other people. It instructs us to become a part of the community. All right, enough of my diatribe there. Um, Do you want to jump into this stuff, or do you have some comments? No, I would say, you know, I mean, to me, a huge component of all of this is balance. You know, all four views would be correct in balance. I and, and certainly aware right. of people who think that everyone's going to be gossiping about them, and they're so busy gossiping about the fact that everyone's going to be gossiping about them that that's what they experience. Um, so there, I mean, there is a, a certain element to creating the world that you want to want to be in. What that will do, you know, if you think positive thoughts, you will maximize your own abilities and that is the best that that you can look for but there is also another important thing to this too you know you have often taught about the power of the authority figure and that is something that everyone who tunes into your show or reads your books should always pay attention to in the story that you have it's the master and the master smiles at his favored student you know we'll talk about the power of the authority figure and then for me is the fact that you tell the story too so you come to that conclusion so it's really easy to say oh well the fourth view must be the only correct view in that so uh you know taking a few seconds to realize you know and not to hand your power away to the authority figure and stop and think it all the way through for yourself i think is really important and you said it balance it's balance it is the rectification of opposites it's not easy you know uh, the fact of the matter is it would be wonderful if uh if it were easy if here it was you know we just knew exactly what to do we just walked down this line and that's where religion gets its great pulp uh for all intent and purposes you know it's made easy Here's the list of what to do, and here's the list of things not to do. And, you know, thinking is not among that. You know, you're not to question, what do you mean by a, an all-powerful God who can't lift a, or who can't build a rock so large he can't lift it? Uh, what do you, I mean, um, you know, all these questions that we think of as, and some people say, well, that's, that's intellectual, that's all that heady stuff, mind stuff, you need to just listen to your heart. Well, you know, you know where if your heart and your head aren't together, you know. Uh, so the, the the fact of the matter is, it is balance and it is a struggle, and we have to deal with the struggle on a regular basis. Issues, and 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 we're we're about to hit a break. We've got about two minutes for the break, so I'm not going to take up the issues that we're going to discuss in this next hour until after the break. But but issues that we see every day, 
Research is being carried out, taxpayer money that's funding this or that, decisions that are being made at political levels, local environmental issues. Uh, all of these things impact us. We, we have a choice. We can live through tacit consent. We don't get involved. We give tacit consent. That's what John Locke called it. If you don't object, for all intent and purposes, you've given tacit consent. If you give the tacit consent, you have no reason to complain or to gripe down the highway because, again, you know, you've given consent. Uh, so, you know, we have an obligation not just to pay attention to that, but in a sense, I think of it as being spiritual activists. You know, my newest book, Sheeples, Servants of the Elite, we got uh, two things in the last 24 hours on that book. One of them was some committee, um, publishing committees, are having difficulty seeing me break out of the new age. Okay. All right. Whatever that means. The other one was we got the statement in uh, from George Nury of Coast to Coast, right on telling it just how it is, you know. Um, and when you look at when you look at the real world, I think what you have is a division that's unnecessary. We all should be a little in the new age and a little in the old age and paying very close attention to what's going on in our world. All right, we're at a break. We hope you're enjoying our show today. I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, this idea of just having open lines and conversations, and we welcome your phone calls. Remember, uh, our lines are open, and you're invited to phone in with your comments and questions anytime throughout the show. Okay, we have a film for you in our chat room. It happens to be about what we're talking about. So if you're not already there, now is the time to join in the fun. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back after a brief station. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're chatting about the stuff that leads us to believe and behave as we do. But before we get back to the show, I want to invite you to join me on Facebook. I post regularly everything from where I am and what's on next to the latest in science, technology, and consciousness studies. And from time to time, some of my own opinions about the world we live in. And I love your comments and feedback, and Facebook is a great place for that. So please give me a like and join me on Facebook.com. Now, we just played some of your second musical choice, Rev. I Believe in Angels by ABBA. Do you really think you can find good in everything? What's this one all about? Well, once again, um, ABBA was a huge part of my childhood. I remember when they won the Eurovision Song Contest. I saw their entire career you know, from beginning to end, you know, from the Eurovision Song Contest to when they came apart. Um, this particular song has always grabbed me, just like the first song. This is one of those songs that if I'm driving in the car, I'll end up singing out to myself. It makes me feel as though there is purpose in the world and I have a friend always there helping me. Um, I feel like there is an angel beside my, you know, by my side. I just have to be quiet enough to pay attention. But I have the faith, and I continue going on. And uh, yeah, there is a there is a purpose to everything, and there is good in everything. You just have to look, and it's not always easy. Sometimes there are uh, there is the darkness that comes along. But I'm aware that I will get through that. You know, it that part of it is an illusion. It's all part of how I'm supposed to learn and grow, and I have my personal angel holding my hand the whole way. Hmm. Interesting. So when you see somebody like um, a serial killer, let's say, you know, uh, the Green River uh, killer um, just attacks these women and whatnot, do you, when you look at that person, do you see good in that person? Do I see good in that person? No, but I can see good in how I react to it and how people react to it. The fact is there is within each of us we have, you know, the ability of a great evil and great good. Um, you know, I think that, but I think the vast majority of people desire to be good and they desire to find a way to prevent these kinds of atrocities from happening and from helping others in expressing the good within themselves. So I, I, I believe in that. Um, it could be difficult, but once again, you know, when I'm in pain and if I see someone else in pain, then I'm in pain. If I see animals being hurt, it pains me deeply. But 
I do have my angel there to soothe me along and and comfort me and stuff see, like that. See, I I can look at an individual like that, and I don't see good in their behavior. No, I don't see good in what they did. Mm-mm. But I can, you know, I can still see good in that human being. I mean, I guess I I look at people, and you know, they were all infants, you know, and and there's no such thing as looking at a baby and saying, oh, you're just going to grow up to be a killer, I can't, you know. No. Uh, or you're going to grow up to be a scumbag, you know. Uh, and, and and you think about small infants and you think about their potential and you think about, you know, somebody loves everybody. And, you know, so they're they're a son of someone. They're, they're, they're the father of someone or the, or the daughter of someone, you know. And I suppose in that sense... I, I feel that we would betray our humanness if we ever start looking at another human being, no matter how vile that human being is, and not I'm not talking about their actions. Yeah. I'm talking about their quintessential self and fail to see some good. I don't know. It's a complicated subject. Let's take this one now. We're just going to start. I've got this stack here in front of me. And it's not organized in any special way. It's just how it comes. So <laughs> you know how I, I do my writing. Sheepo was written largely from just volumes of material, the overwhelming material, you know, about the manipulation, not just in our country, but throughout the world, and not just in 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 politics or in in product, uh, but in every imaginable walk or way of life. So out of this pile, I'll start with this one. I mean, when you're all said and done, you might even wonder, what are these people thinking about? You know, you remember what was it? The uh, beaver anal sacs used <laughs> as flavoring. What on earth goes through a person's mind when they come up with these ideas? But here's one for you. The headline on this one says, Soylent Green, company wants you to eat your favorite celebrity. A company is aiming to take advantage of the mindless celebrity worship culture by planning to feed fanatics their favorite celebrities. Hundreds of people are petitioning celebrities to donate tissue samples to BiteLabs.org. Now, this isn't a joke. A company that says it will produce artisanal salami. I always get that word wrong. Artisanal. Thank you. Artisanal salami from celebrity tissue samples for human consumption. Uh, you know, you you have any thoughts on this one? I mean, you know, here's how it all will work, explains the Los Angeles Times. A sample of tissue containing uh, cells, the type of cells that help repair and regrow damaged muscle, will be taken from a person during a biopsy. Those cells are multiplied in the lab using a medium that acts as an artificial blood to grow muscle. The company already has a few celebrities in mind, such as Jennifer Lawrence, Kane West, Ellen DeGeneres, and even recipes they believe complement those personalities. Who thinks of this stuff? Do <laughs> you have a reaction to that one? 
you know, I mean, it can sound totally ludicrous, ludicrous and like who the heck would do that? But the fact is there will be people that, that will buy that. They're just, you know, they are so far asleep. They are so obsessed with, um, doing the in thing, whatever the in thing may be that they will do that and you'll have actors who are on the way out and want to make some extra money so they'll sell off a few of their (laughs) cells and I think it's absolutely disgusting and gross and nauseating and so incredibly fast asleep as some people. Do you think we'll have a, a mad human disease? I mean remember mad cow's disease was pretty well decided that you know the onset of that was produced as a result of grinding up uh, beef waste and adding it as the protein back in animal feeds and feeding it to the cattle. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think there are lots of diseases out there now that are due to foods being manipulated with things that shouldn't be in food. Oh, I know, but in this All particular instance, I mean, I don't, I mean, do you think, I mean, there isn't going to be an FDA come in and look at this stuff because it's, it's, I mean, they don't police that kind of thing. It's just going to be another meat. I mean, I don't know. I just find the whole idea just crazy. Just It is absolutely crazy, absolutely disgusting. And yeah, I mean, it is ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. But the fact is it will happen. All right. Let's move off of yuck. Next headline. <laughs> Next headline, and this this one, you know, I posted on just recently. Minimizing belief in free will may lessen support for criminal punishment, the headline says. Exposure to information that diminishes free will, including brain-based accounts of behavior, seems to decrease people's support for retributive punishment According to research published in Psychological Science, a journal of the Association for Psychological Science. Okay. So people who've learned about neuroscientific research, either by reading a magazine article or through undergraduate coursework, uh, propose a less severe punishment for a hypothetical criminal than did their peers. So the findings of this study suggest that We hold the criminal less blameworthy because, after all, the academic consensus on free will is that there isn't any. We don't have it. Your thoughts on that? How convenient for the bleeding hearts. No, you know, indeed, (laughs) there, there, there is, I mean, there have been a number of studies run on this issue, but there is a study that Mark posted uh, that I'm familiar with, but I'll, I'll give Mark credit because he posted it on my website uh, underneath my post of this that has to do with students. And, you know, when students were uh, explained uh, the state of the art on free will, basically they were told that there is no such thing. Um, they were many times more likely to cheat on their examinations and, uh, you know, plagiarize papers, etc. and so forth. It's as though it becomes a scapegoat. It's not just an issue of do we or don't we have it. Now, you know, free will to me is a is a major, indeed, 
the Hay House Summit, uh, I had one question, and it reminded me of a philosophy class, you know, where you get the, you have a two-hour final, and you have your blue books, and and you, you slip in there, and the prophet's got one question written on the board. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Discuss. Now, holy cow, where do I start on that one? With what religion? With what telia? With what, you know, come on. Um, you, you know, that's the kind of thing that there are two hours. Are you serious? I could take two years and still be writing about that. So so what is it that he wants out of that that question? Well, when I said, when Greg Sherwood and I connected on the Hay House Summit, Greg essentially said to me, and totally by surprise, uh, listen, uh, I just would like to have, you know, you discuss, if you will, if you wouldn't mind, one question that really troubles me, and if there's anybody that can discuss this, it's got to be you, and that's, do we have free will? That was his question. You know, so you have a one-hour interview, and the question, is, you, again, you could write, um, books have, books upon books upon books have been written about do we have free will, and what do you mean by free will? And and it's been debated for hundreds of years, not just in philosophy, but in cognitive science uh, studies, courses, etc. It, it is a major, a major issue. Last week, our guest indicated that, well, we really don't have free will. Everything is pre- predetermined. Well, maybe we have this little bit of free will, you know, and... and the way she equivocated on it, I mean, I, and I don't want to pick on her at all, it, you know, didn't make any logical or rational sense in my view. Okay? So what is free will? We tend to think, look, free will is about choice. We had a letter that we read today. As long as I have choice, I have free will. So I have free will to choose whether or not I'm going to have a Snickers bar next time we go hiking. Okay? Uh that free will here's what we know about free will and then you can kind of play this one a little bit back in the 50s benjamin libet using multiple multicranial uh, eeg uh, a multicranial cap uh, watched witnessed p300 waves arising in an area of the brain associated with the unconscious that preceded conscious or voluntary choices, decisions, actions. He theorized that it was our subconscious, our unconscious, and I'm using that synonymous in this sense, uh, that was actually giving rise to or or telling us what to do. It was marshalling up uh, what we would do, and then the conscious mind was just kind of acting it out. Since Libet's work, that has been so thoroughly demonstrated that using functional magnetic resonance imaging, we know that an MRI tech watching your brain lifetime will know what you're going to choose. Like the Snickers bar, do I, don't I have it? Will know what you're going to choose six to ten seconds before you know. Now, hold it, you say... How is that possible? They're going to know what I'm going to do six to ten seconds before I do. Well, the fact of the matter is, in in these particular studies, what they do is they give you a choice. And uh, so you're looking at a screen, and you have two buttons, one for the right and one for the left. 
and you can choose. Do I do not have a Snickers bar? Okay. Do I like A better than B or B better than A? Okay. Six to ten seconds before you make that choice, your brain has already decided. The decision has come out of your unconscious. It's decided. The MRI tech knows what that decision is. He's recorded it, and he's not wrong. Now, that that should cause everyone great cause to pause. Because what it means is, what do we mean by free will? I mean, free will itself is an illusion. I think I'm making the choice, but the choice was made what? In this biocomputer of an unconscious? And I'm just, oh, yeah, I'll choose this, thinking I made that? I mean, is this like split-brain studies where the right eye sees something and the left eye sees something else? And, And so the brain confabulates what it doesn't know was seen by the eye as a result of the split brain study confab just makes it up uh is this the kind of thing where you know we go through life believing that we're choosing but indeed the choice has already been made for us is that the real illusion is that the great masquerade when you think about it well you know, you call him John Jack. Uh, Dr. John L. Turner, a neuro, uh, neurosurgeon in Hilo, Hawaii, a friend of mine. Jack and I uh, have talked about this. And Jack is, you know, insistent with me that, hey, we don't have any, you know, free will. There is no such thing as free will because, you know, all of our thoughts are there before we think them. In other words, I, I can't. I mean, the thoughts arrive, and then I'm aware that I'm thinking the thoughts, right? Okay, I don't, I don't do it the other way around. They come into my head, and then I'm aware that I'm thinking them. I get this stream of consciousness and everything else, and you know. So, where did that come from? And and the fact of the matter is, the evidence shows that there isn't time for me to interdict between this P three hundred wave. And the conscious, you know, reaction. That signal is done and it's milliseconds and then it's just a few more seconds before I become aware of it and, and choose. So if there is no such thing as free will, if, if indeed the mind operates as a biocomputer in, in, in a bit of an analogic sense, if we're going along and uh, we think we're choosing, but indeed it's the unconscious that has already chosen for us, what does that say? Well, to me it says, look, if you want to hope at having true free will, you need to pay very close attention to what's in your unconscious. You need to guard what goes into it. You know, you don't want to plug into all that... You know, every time you watch a television commercial, there is one common message in them all. Do you know what that is? You're deficient. That's right. You and I have discussed this many times. You're deficient. If you're not deficient, you don't need what they have to sell. If you have perfect skin, perfect complexion, you don't need their product. You know, if you're as beautiful as the model, you don't need, you know, the whole thing is about selling you deficiency. If you plug into that kind of of information, if that's what's in your head, all this stuff that I think is the no-don't syndrome, you're not smart enough, you're too stupid, to, if, you, if you buy all of this, if, if you get it from the media, and it is a 24-7 insult upon our, 
our intelligence, all of this, and I think of it as mediocracy selling us something in, in, in every way, shape, and form imaginable. Uh, if you plug into that, then the thoughts that are going to come out of your unconscious are going to be those thoughts that uh, may or may not support what you think you would like. And they're, they're going to be automatic. The only way you're going to be able to have free will is to choose what you put into your unconscious. So when that calculation is made, when that choice is really there, you don't do something you say, oh, I, I, I would never do that, and then you do it. Oh, my parents did this, but I'm never going to do that. And then you do exactly that. You wouldn't be doing those things when you say, oh, you know, I'm going to give up chocolate. Well, it'd be okay to just have one more. <laughs> you, you know, you won't be a victim of that circularity if you've chosen what you put into your unconscious. But if you haven't, then you don't really have free will. You just have a great illusion. You believe you do, but again, an MRI tech watching your brain lifetime will know what you're going to do six to ten seconds before you know, before you know what you're going to do. That's appalling. That's shocking. Your thoughts? I totally agree. You know, that comes down to the key element to everything that you teach. You your mind is your most important asset. Um, you need to protect what goes in. You need to examine what's in there periodically. You need to stop and think, you know, is this, is this idea really my own idea? Um, You're right. But we also, and I want to pick this up when we come back from the break, knowing this, does that mean we let the criminal off? Or do we hold the criminal more accountable? Indeed, look. Knowing this, as we advance the information and more and more people become aware of it, do we begin to hold parents accountable for programming their young people may get? I mean, we know that violent offenders often come from violent families. There is a genetic or a environmental, and they're kind of mixed on this, little of both. Where do we go with that, understanding what we just know? All right, we'll pick that up when we come back. Uh we hope you're enjoying our show today. You do, don't you? I do. You do. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back in just a couple of minutes, and we'll take more of your calls. You know, if, if any of you out there have got something you'd like to discuss, hey, do get on the phone. Give us that buzz. If you have questions or comments re regarding today's show, do call in. You can do that by dialing one eight seven seven two three zero three zero six two. Stay tuned. We always try to save the best for last. If you haven't yet read Mind Programming, you're in for a real awakening. Like the red pill, ignore the book at your own peril. Here's what author Angelina Hart had to say about the book. Mind Programming is a brilliant expose on how we've become unconsciously enslaved to that which we haven't understood. Eldon Taylor exposes and explodes the old world view of fear and lack that has generated direct and indirect manipulation of our minds without our awareness or permission. With well-earned insight, he offers proven pathways of self-empowerment that entrain our consciousness towards the model of unity and abundance that negates the survival paradigm. In a period when fear has reached a frenzied pitch, Taylor shines a brilliant spotlight to dispel the darkness. Get your copy today at fine bookstores everywhere or online from Amazon, 
Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. You can join in the conversation by calling 877-230-3062. And for our international callers, you can join us by dialing your country code and 425-644-5620. You can also participate by entering the chat room at eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. You can email Eldon from anywhere on the world by sending an email to eldon at eldentaylor.com. Now... Back to the show. Give me a second, I, I need to get my story straight. My friends are in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State. My lover, she's waiting for me just across the bar. My seat's been taken by some
the bar closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax and why it all matters. Ravinder, we just played some of We Are Young. You surprised me with this song because I've never heard you play it. I've, I've, it's totally unfamiliar to me. By Janelle Monet. What is the, I mean, is that how you say her name, Monet? Actually, it's not by Janelle. It's by Fun. Or maybe the song is by Janelle, but it's Fun who sings it and who brought the song and made it famous recently Oh, all right. Well, you gave it to me, and where it comes from is on YouTube. Uh-huh. And if you look it up, it's We Are Young by Janelle Monet. Okay, so sung by fun, whatever the story is, what's your story about this song? Well, like the majority of people our generation, I first came to hear of this song because of the Motorola commercial. Um, and... For me, first of all, it was simply the music that caught my attention. There was an energy in the music itself. When you go look at the words of the song, they don't relate to me whatsoever. You know, this is about a guy in a bar um, trying to get back with his girlfriend, who he's beaten up in the past, and but he's trying to apologize, and he wants to, you know. So the whole storyline doesn't fit me at all, but the chorus itself does, totally, because it's tonight we are young. Well, I feel like we are young. It's not tonight that I think about with a song. It's like um, every day, you know. We are young. I'm young at heart. You know, the fact is there is so much potential. There is so much more that I can do. I'm not old. My life isn't over. I've got a lot to do. And then it's, so let's set the world on fire. Well, just like the slogan at Gonzaga Prep, go forth and set the world on fire. Well, I think that is what we should all be doing. We should be doing our best. We should be living life to the full, um, doing it smart, not like, uh, you know, the character in the song. But doing our absolute best in everything we do, just like when so, you. So you've chosen a song that you deny the lyrics have any value. It's only the chorus. It's only the and chorus the, but, uh, and the music. And this is a lot. And the music. And the music, because okay. the music just fills my soul and makes me want to dance. So you're not the lady want... in the bar. No, nope, no, nope, I'm not. I'm a good little Indian girl, and <laughs> that's all there is to it. But this song does make me want to strive for more and to live fully. You know, I'm not one of these people that says living now it's all an illusion. I think life is a gift. And you want to maximize that gift and you want to appreciate every moment of that gift and you want to use the gift every way that you come. So, yeah, you and I, we can burn brighter than the sun. We can we can go and achieve great things and the great things can be with your work or it can just be in the day to day stuff and planting a flower and enjoying being together. I had a fabulous 24th anniversary yesterday. And it was really just you and I spending the day together, but we were setting our world on fire and burning brighter than the sun, and that's absolutely magical. So this is joyful, it's high energy, and ignore the verses to it totally. I like the music, and I like the chorus, and that is perfectly okay with me. All right, well, if you say so. (laughs) Okay, listen, before... uh... 
Before we took this last break, we were talking about criminality and uh, free will and uh, issues of that nature. Richard from the chat room says, Eldon, this suggests that your subconscious is not you if you accept that massive amounts of information are always obscured from consciousness. It is self that did indeed make that choice. The conscious is always let in on the deal in a measured and partial way. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I don't buy that, Richard. Um, the fact of the matter is we have some brand-new studies, brand-new research that shows us that the brain processes information. Uh, that The only way we know it's processing information is because we're watching areas of the brain that detect what it processes. There's no way conscious mind is in any way, shape, or form involved in uh, discriminating uh, in any sense of the word, what it is that we are processing. So I think, you know, we can say, yes, it it is our self. And on the other hand, we have to recognize that, well, what is that self? Is that self who we want to be? Is that self the result of uh, what Nietzsche says, our own architecture? We sat down and we created the personality characteristics that we wanted to have, and we modeled those and we imitated them until uh, they were what, you know, they, they became who we were. Or did we indeed maybe copy out of television? You know, we've got some of those those slogans in our head. You know, I don't get even, I get even there. Go ahead and make my day. You know, all those one-liners. And, and they have chosen or they have in some sense or word become who we are. There's a real question about what the authentic self is. From my perspective... As a conscious adult, we should have the ability to be the primary architects of who we are. And in that sense, we can be deceived by who we think we are as a result of all of this programming that goes on. Richard continues by saying, Eldon, the hard fact is that biological issues are a large part of the formula. Dr. Amen is the forerunner of this knowledge and with his massive spec scan library. Um, you know, there's no question but what uh, the issue isn't both environmental and biological. Uh, I think the fact of the matter is society can't afford to become complacent about criminality, whether it be a matter of uh, issues of free will or not. Uh, I think we have to look at life as though we have free will, even if we tend to believe that it is uh, some of it is predetermined. The mechanisms that predetermine uh, our life, that's what's really at issue. You know, is it predetermined by a divine hand, as Sue may have suggested last week in our show? Or is it predetermined because of the result of uh, our enculturation, uh, you know, the environment that we live in and so on and so forth. Well, I tend to think that it's a mix of the latter, although I would be totally amenable to the idea that, you know, maybe as some of the astrologers say or numerologists say, you know, there's kind of an overall template. And when we come in, a lot of the probabilities of our life are already set up. I am one that happens to think there are accidents from my own experience, my own understanding. I'm absolutely certain of that. But 
Uh, be that as it may, that's not what it, what is at issue. As far as Dr. Raymond is concerned, Richard, if you do a quick search on him, uh, even if you just do his wiki, you'll find out that uh, there's a great deal of controversy about some of his claims and uh, the quality of his research and so forth. All right, let's go forward. Uh, DARPA. This headline says, DARPA brain chips to implant false memories. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, is developing brain chips that will implant or remove specific memories from a subject, a prospect some may deem chilling, giving DARPA's previous advocacy of authentication microchips. Neuroscientists foresee a brave new world where minds can be programmed using lasers, drugs, and microchips in order to create false memories, a technology that has already been used on mice. DARPA, the U.S. military's R&D agency, seems to be going full steam ahead on these kinds of technologies, according to Joseph Ledoux, uh, commenting in MIT Review. What they plan to do is put chips in the brain. It would be like a prosthesis. Instead of moving your arm, you're fixing memory. I have no idea how they would achieve that. Scientists are heralding the beginning of a golden age where minds could be manipulated to function better. Although Ledoux acknowledges that ethical implications include the possibility that the application of the technology could lead to the creation of fearless monsters. MIT reviews Brian Bergston admits that the notion of implanting or removing specific memories often sounds creepy, but that it will be useful in treating PTSD, reducing anxiety, or combating addiction and depression. Thoughts on this one, Raph? This is a little implant. goes in the very back of the head and, for all intent and purposes, can be targeted you know, remotely. Uh... You know, I don't know. I mean, it's a technical Manchurian, I suppose, is possible. The idea, the way these things often get sold is there are, you know, advantages to uh, individuals who suffer medical uh, difficulties. And so, you know, erasing a PTSD memory may have its, its indeed, its advantages. The whole idea to me is creepy. How about you? I think the dangers inherent to it are just so astronomical. Um, but it is an example of yesterday's science fiction becoming today's reality and everything gets misused at some point. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that this is one of those examples. All right. Well, while we're on the subject, you know, what do you think of this? Synthetic biology could reduce our population. You know, we all know that there's a burgeoning population. The New York Times reported earlier this month on a conference held at MIT again on May 1 that discussed synthetic biology. And by the way, this conference attracted... Now, this is a conference of scientists, and it attracted the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Homeland Security. Okay? So... The conference uh, gathered, as it says here, um, one of the law enforcement speakers at the conference was FBI agent Carmine Negro. He is quoted by the Times as saying, regarding synthetic biology, these technologies do not just pose a risk to individual buildings or cities, 
but if cleverly deployed, can reduce our population by significant percentages. I don't know. It's a disturbing comment, you know, when it comes to synthetic biology is being quietly inserted in the food supply this year via synthetic biology vanilla. Your thoughts on this one? Synthetic biology to reduce population? Mm-hmm. So what exactly are they th- thinking of doing? I mean, how is it going to reduce population? Well, Mass disease? <laughs> You know, synthetic biology originally, I mean, a lot of them claim that this is all about using biology for purposes of creating uh, materials. So, uh, you know, the field received, you know, this new impetus uh, that led to this MIT meeting because researchers at Scripps uh, Institute published a paper in the journal Nature saying that they had created an organism by adding artificial genetic code to its DNA, Mm -hmm. specifically two new nucleotides that they named X and Y, in addition to the existing natural nucleotides of A, C, G, and T. So, the goal, uh, well, you know, the goal is stated as saying that they want to start using biology to create things like polymers and catalysts as well as really, quote, new types of materials. Uh, obviously, you can create material that, as the vanilla that could be consumption material, material that we eat, drink, etc. cetera. Uh, if they can create polymers, maybe we're using bi- biology to create uh, materials that mend themselves, uh, that have self-healing functions, you know. Um, maybe that plastic bumper, you know, repairs itself. I mean, this this is not way out stuff. This is stuff they're working on right now. But, again, the most frightening thing is this notion that by synthesizing genomes, uh, you know, you, you basically could design uh, a termination for a human being. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's what I mean. Who thinks up these things? It's just. Uh, well, this no, is. You know. I mean, what you're talking about sounds like Monsanto on steroids. Plus. It's, uh, you know, there is so much power out there and there there is so much being done, you know, put into the air, put into the water, you know, put into the foods, put in and we don't have much say in any of this. It's um I think it's incumbent upon all of us to speak up against this all of this stuff, you know, cuz talk about not having free choice. Well, you know, if all the water is contaminated and the grass seeds are all, you know, genetically modified and no, we we have to speak up because the consequences aren't n- known, but we are. I mean, the big corporations will make the big funds right now, but it's our kids and our grandchildren that will pay the price for it. Amen. But, you know, now this is all news that's there. You know, it comes across my desk every day through one journal or another, through a subscription or something, you know. It's out there. <clears throat> How many people are aware of this? Should we be aware of it? Does it make any any difference in our spirit? I mean, that is a big question. We have already said yes, but our listening audience, you know, you you decide. Does does any of this matter to you? It's what you had said earlier. If you don't speak up, you are giving tacit consent. 
you're giving all the, all the power away, and so uh, you end up paying the price for it. So no, we should be concerned. But the fact is, society these days, our kids these days are not being taught how to think. They are being taught how to think in a particular way. No, they're to not being follow. taught how to think. They're ta- being taught how to remember there things in a particular order. Yeah. You know, now everything yeah, is all soundbite. All right. Okay, Richard, this one's for you. Your brain sees things you don't. Science Daily piece, University of Arizona doctoral degree candidate. Jay Sanguetti has authored a new study published online in the journal Psychological Science that indicates that the brain processes and understands visual input that we may never consciously in any way perceive. The finding challenges currently accepted models about how the brain processes visual information. Quoting, we were asking the question of whether the brain was processing the meaning of the objects that are on the outside of silhouettes not available to the conscious mind. The specific question was, does the brain process those hidden shapes to the level of meaning even when the subject doesn't consciously see them? The answer, the data indicates... Yes. What are your thoughts on that one, Raf? You're processing all kinds of information you're not aware of. All kinds of information. And it may be coming from the peripheral uh, regions that we can't, when asked to see, can't see. You know? We look as far to the to the left or the right as we can with our head in a straight position, and we don't see it, and yet, somehow we perceive it. No, I mean, I, I mean, I find that all fascinating. You know, from a spiritual perspective, it could fit into how I feel about having my angel by my side. You know, when I'm okay. when all I'm right. in a quiet place. Come on, Come on. let's get it's a, <laughs> let's let's do some news. We okay? It's I official. Like my angels, thank you. I like your I like your angels too. <laughs> it's official. TV linked to attention deficit disorder. Babies and toddlers parked in front of the TV have a much higher risk of developing ADHD by age 7, studies show. A study from the American Academy of Pediatrics shows that watching videos as a toddler may lead to attention deficit hyperactive disorder, also called ADD in the UK. Okay, how many people park their children in front of television as the babysitter? Lots of tired moms, most certainly, and I have to say that I did some of that too. So, you know, and we, and, they, and we blame. We pay the price for it, big time. Not only are they having the programming that comes out of that, but they, mm-hmm. you know, we're running out of time. I don't believe it. <laughs> okay, really quickly, another study that I wanted to touch on uh, while we were discussing that one uh, shows that. Language development is impaired in children parked in front of television. You know, we're just flat out of time, Rav. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you have, too. Uh, I hope our audience has. Do you have any real quick final words, five seconds? Believe in angels. Go for it. I love it, too. All right. (laughs) We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. On behalf of myself, Ravinder, and our talented producer, Kiera, 
We want to thank our guest and all of you, our guests. We want to thank ourselves. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm on automatic. I want to, yeah, anyway, thank you for all, all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, Believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.